Hello, welcome to Cannabis Marketing Live. I'm your host, Jake Litke, the CEO of MediaGel. And today we have Matt Taverna from Statera. Statera is a, a data company um, that, and actually, you know what, Matt, I'll let you introduce Statera. Sure. It's, uh, it's your business. Yeah, um, we are we are we're a data data solutions company. Um, we we build a um, two hundred sixty million person data set of everybody in the United States, and we then make that data actionable for um, advertising and outreach and analytics on on um, you know kind of pieces of that data. And so we have our um, our roots um, are in uh kind of state level regulation um state level politics and we kind of have, have a really good way of kind of viewing the, the uh united states in states and so that's how we kind of work in cannabis um using that uh the same model of, of kind of viewing um the united states as kind of 50 states plus dc and um you know we work with media gel and kind of other cannabis tech companies to make that data actionable and to help um, kind of you know end users, which are, you know companies and brands, to make their own data actionable uh, as well. Great, thank you for that. Um, let's. The topic today is first-party data um, and how you can use it both in targeting and retention measurement. Uh, we should probably start off the conversation by defining what is first-party data. Where there's there's first party data, second party data, third party data, zero party data. Um, really, we're talking about first party data today. And I'd like to define it in the context of how first party data is um, collected and utilized today in, let's say, the broader CPG industry. And then we get yeah. to how that. So, yeah, I mean, I think so that so that so just like the the kind of top lines on, on the differences between first, second and third, second, and third party data are. Uh, data sets and, and data that, that, that you'd buy from someone like me, um, you know, that is kind of uh, consumer data that that is based on um, different kind of consumer behaviors that are known, that are kind of made from things for like when you sign up for a warranty card or your, your CVS card or your uh, grocery store card, um, the benefit of you getting those discounts um, is that, you know, you can have these kind of groceries, but then that grocery store actually has that data and actually can sometimes sell that data. Um, the first party data is data that companies kind of keep kind of closer to the vest and collect themselves. And it's data that comes from points of sale. It's data that is comes from things like loyalty programs, um, different kind of opt-ins for, um, you know, like, like text messages. And it's data that uh, kind of, Kind of like is kind of owned and operated by a by by a company. So it's like it's like you know, and and so for like the lack of a better term, it's like your customer list. Um, and so the way it's collected again is through those different different kind of feeds of different software sets that companies have, and it's it's largely um, used in uh, tr traditional CPG um, workflows to. To kind of like predict, um, you know, customer behaviors, and to see, you know, like what kind of inventory you should be stocking, and and kind of like, kind of like the the trend of your business. But at a more granular level, it's it's you know used primarily to keep in touch with customers. So, 
Right. So you've got you've got a couple dimensions of data there. You've got the identity of the consumer. You have uh, maybe a very various types of contact information could be phone number, email address, uh, home address. And then you have behavioral data, which is what is the person purchasing? How often are they interacting with your with your retail location or delivery service? Um, and then, you know, we can talk about how you can leverage that data. Now, before we jump over to that, though, I want to touch on the fact that the, in the within the CP, CPG industry, there's a there's a healthy ecosystem of data sharing and data connections with large companies, um, and and there's established ways that information flows back and forth. One of the things that we struggle with in the cannabis space, say, space is that the data is largely siloed, right? So you have a you've got a POS system. You maybe you've got a compliance system, you've got a loyalty platform, but for the most part, none of those are connected to the ecosystem that you would traditionally see like a big box retailer have access to. So if you have your data siloed like that, what are the um, what are the limitations that you're running into, uh, you know, as an owner of that data? Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it doesn't give you kind of a full view of the customer. So and it also. Um, leaves kind of like holes in some of the information that you're dealing with. So for instance, if, if you have a incomplete record on your loyalty program and you are trying to, um, you know, maintain a relationship with your customer through like a text message or an email, and that isn't working, but then you have that customer on another, uh, software platform and you may have their phone number, um, or a different phone number for them. Um, it, rather than giving them up giving up on them as a lapsed customer it's another way you can engage with that customer um so kind of pulling all the data into one spot to making sure you're kind of able to pull out all the stops in in customer engagement um that's number one and, and number two is there there are times when um you know you can wear like because you're not recognizing that uh if someone gives you an email address on one piece of software and gives you a phone number on the other, um, if, if you don't make that connection, you're not even getting a full view of what that customer has bought. And so like their wallet size, um, they kind of the, their, their buying behavior with SKUs attached to it is kind of misrepresenting that person. So if there's kind of my name, you know, Matt Taverna, if I go in and buy uh, one product one day and I, I'm signed in with my email address, I, I come in another day and I use, it's like, I just come in as a, as a regular customer, but I use my, my, my phone number, um, making sure that those two sales are combined into the single record is like, is really important. So you have a full view of, you know, that customer, but also a full view of, um, kind of that customer profile, which gets into the, the other use of, of kind of first party data to kind of like as a predictive element. Yeah. And so if you have, this is again another space where I don't think there's there or at least hasn't been good solutions for doing data cleaning and data appending. Um, this is something that Statera has the capability to do. I know because I've seen you do it where you can take a customer record. Let's say you've got the very simple use case of a name. You have three columns of data. You've got a name, you have a phone number, you have email address, but then you have gaps, right? You have a email right. address for one person, phone number for another, maybe home address. Um, within the CPG industry, there's, like I said, again, established methods for going and taking that data, sending it to a data provider, getting that data filled in. Um, but th there's not a lot of, that really hasn't 
been uh, too available in the Canvas space. Uh, talk to me about how that usually works. If, if I were to do that, I were a retailer. Yeah, I mean, I, like, you know, like I think, I, I think that I, I, I think the silos in Canvas are are based on the fact that like we're building the plan as we take off here, and and um, you know, we like I think as an industry, we're like very quickly. Uh, catching up to, to to best practices, but um, I think unfortunately, what happens is that when there are established best practices, uh, there we have the legs cut out from under us. So if you look at um, kind of like some some recent recent uh, decisions from, from from Twilio and and some other software platforms, where in, traditionally you would use like a um, like a Twilio or another CRM as a way to combine all that data, um, those aren't available. For, for for cannabis brands and companies, um, and so having having the data live in one spot um, is 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 a challenge, and I, and I think that's again that's one that's you know quickly kind of being solved, um, but I think also with a with a, with, a, with an industry that is um, despite like you know very recent successes uh, or like you know the kind of crystal ball of success with with two eighty e and and uh, rescheduling and and some other progress made just in the past couple of days on safe banking and elsewhere um despite those you know hopefully down the road successes it's still an industry that there's um a a good sense of caution that goes along with handling data and customer data um so there has to be a certain amount of trust in in you know where you're sending that those data lists and and who are the vendors that are able to do these things correctly for you to make sure you see that full customer view. And yeah, that's, so, so those are the challenges, I think. I've seen both sides of that. Um, I've seen some businesses that are not as cautious as they should be with their first party data. Um, and this is where we talk about, you know, PII, personally identifiable information. There are laws on what you can and can't do with it, how you're supposed to store it. Um, those laws vary by state in terms of opt-outs and and how where the data collection happened and what you can do with it. Um, so I've seen people do things like just email customer lists around with PII, which you should not do. And then I've seen a lot of people that are taking a conservative approach and just not doing anything with their data because they're concerned. They don't know how much trouble they could get into. So they just play it safe and don't do anything. Um, how do we help people understand the middle ground of, you know, just in broad strokes, like some some basic don't do this. And here's what you can do if you're thoughtful. And when I'm talking about can do, what are the ways you can leverage that data for your business in terms of targeting or or retention or analysis? I realize that's a broad question. Yeah, I just, no, I mean, I think I I think dealing with any vendor, um, whether it's a whether it's a data vendor or, or a software vendor, knowing what that vendor is allowed or not allowed to do with your data um, is really important and obviously um this is best left to an, a lawyer but what i what i usually say to to a uh, prospective customer or, or a colleague is that you should be able to look at the terms of what you know very clearly in plain english not legalese know what the vendor's going to do with your data and so like it's the tarot we have you know pretty clear uh, rules on data destruction that we will kind of do a project and then your data will not 
kind of stick around in our servers. We're not going to go use it for something else. We're not going to use it to create other products. We're not going to give that away to other, other you know, your, your competitors or you know, other clients. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of knowing what, what is possible there. And then I think using um, the best practices on um, just like like data security. So there are um, you know pretty easy ways to securely send data files. Um, they do things like things like Dropbox, Box.com um, are kind of like very like industry standard kind of freeware, but freeware in a way that 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 they're well known and they're secure. And then other data companies and uh, vendors have like their own secure way of, of file transfers that they've built um, on their on their own. Um, and I think that there's also just like levels of 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 security that you should be looking at. So there's kind of like and and, and a lot of a lot of this is common sense, but again, a lot of it is kind of based on laws and your attorney and and, and the way that. Um, you should be kind of looking at levels of security. So if you're you know if it's you know, one one thing in particular that that I um, really rely on our attorney and, and our customers' attorneys on, I don't mean to talk about lawyers the whole time here. Is if you're a uh, medicinal dispensary, it gets into a area of data that um, is kind of a, a true gray area for cannabis because it does kind of take um, HIPAA into um, consideration. But um, again, there's a customer aspect to that. But then there's kind of like that's kind of the top level of security. And then there's kind of other aspects of data security that are, um, you know, kind of much less uh, scrutinized. And so things like loyalty programs and, and, and things like that are, are like, I think are very valuable uh, to you as a, as a company. Um, and, and I think that like, those are, those are data elements that are kind of, um, Again, like just like use common sense in the way that you 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 transfer that data to your vendor and like know what they're going to do with it. Um, you can ask your vendor for a certificate of destruction for like after they do a project, um, and then kind of like having somebody having them walk through what what they actually did with the with your data, um, and having you know, like the different software companies that you work with, if it's your point of sale company to your loyalty platform to you know data vendor to uh, programmatic. Um, media buying, having them talk to each other and having them kind of be familiar with what you're trying to do. Uh, so like treat this in a more holistic way than, and then break down those silos. Yeah, so if you think about it, I would say a good way to think about it is like the whole journey of the data. If you need to think about it from the beginning to the end. At the beginning, you're gonna collect some information. You should have a privacy policy of some sort with your customer or consumer where you're outlining, hey, I'm going to um, have access to this data that you're giving me and here's what I'm going to do with it. Then when you start transporting that data to other people to append it or to use it for targeting or something else, the other entity or vendor that you work with, they should have something that is called a data processing agreement or something along those lines that outlines what their rights are. Because once you send information to someone, you should have a clear understanding of how they're going to store that data, what they're going to do with it, do they have the ability to resell it, um, and what happens when you know the use case is over? Is that how are they going to destroy the data or return it to you? So if you think about collecting a person's identity, if you are a retailer, you need to understand the entry point and then everywhere that it that it can go along the lines. One of the problems with sending 
data files via email, it's not necessarily that email itself is inherently insecure. It's the fact that email sits now in someone's inbox. Most people use their inbox as their database. And so then you've got this file floating around. It could be on someone's laptop. So you really want to think about where it where it is going to be at all times. So now yeah, let's well, and also when if you think about an email, it's like if you think about what I like like a Dropbox or box.com, that is kind of like multiple endpoints accessing one place. An email, when you send that, you're creating kind of almost three different versions of the file. You, there's one in your there's now the original version, and now there's one in your sent box. And then the one in the other person's inbox. And if they file it, so it's like a, a exponential growth of the placement of where that data lives. Um, that's also just like problematic because it just, like Jake said, like a, the wrong click of a send um, kind of can be catastrophic. So, yeah. Okay. So now that we've covered the sort of boring warning stuff of what you should and shouldn't do. And again, you should, you should get legal advice and all of this. These are sort of broad yeah descriptions we're giving here. Um, and neither of us are lawyers, as far as I know. So um, now let's talk about what you can do with the data. Yeah, right? I mean, so like, look, this shouldn't be scary at all. Uh, <laughs> actually, it should be um, a really great way to um, to have a view of your customer. And, and, and it's also like, if you think about um, the way that we think about business, this is a actually a really valuable asset to your company. And it's one that should be maintained as such. So like the maintenance of that data is like, is, is, is super, super important. So say you've gone through the steps of unsiloing your software and you have your point of sale um, that is being synced now with your loyalty platform that's being synced with kind of any other software that you're using for text messaging and things like that. And you have all this data flowing back and you have Matt Taverna and he comes in and I have been the model customer. I, you know, I've signed up for all the things and I, I, order online and you know every SKU that I bought. So what can you do with that? Um, you can create profiles of folks. So I think a really good way to think about this is like think about in the traditional CPG sense of where you've done this before. And um, one thing, so like it's like a very high end, uh, like, a, like, a, like a Bloomingdale's card, right? It's like the, like the highest end thing. It's like a, you know, my mom had one and it was like a very special thing when we did that on Christmas time. And Bloomingdale is like, is, you know, they're, they're, they're tracking this stuff and they send you these magazines and they send you this, this engagement and they want you to come in and it's like, Oh, come in early. And we're going to open early for you. We'll open late and we'll give you a shopper. And um, those are some of the things they do to entice people in, but, and it's not only because they know um, your, your, your past history, but they know that, that there, there are people like you that have done this as well. So they, so they, what they've done is they've taken your data and they look at, you know, if it's Matt Saverna, 42 year old male, they'll look at my record and they say, Oh, I bought a coat last Christmas. Um, but you know, what, what's you other 42 year old men buy at Bloomingdale's and they, so they can compare and contrast customer records and they'll say, well, this is what the 42 year old male profile looks like. This guy bought a coat. Let's sell him a suit, uh, suitcase next time. Um, and so that, you, you know, with, with, with cannabis, you're kind of, you, you, you're doing the same thing. You can create customer profiles of, um, you know, looking at 
customer behaviors. And this is something that like the, like, you know, like the, the cannabis data community, um, places like new frontier data, um, have done have done really well um, in, a, in 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 a holistic way, and then so using your first party data to continue to enrich that type of data is is just like makes it invaluable because it makes it specific to your store. So if you know what does a forty two year old male do in my store, that's really like in, in important data because they then it, it again can begin to not only. Uh, be directional on your customer outreach so you know if i'm if i go and buy a, a three pack of pre-rolls every friday um you know it's the no-brainer to send me the three pack of pre-rolls but then you can look at like what else do you think i should be buying what else does the 42 or you know 35 to 45 year old male what are what is what do they buy let's let's sell them at that um and so you go from i think the downward spiral of the discount code to like the upward spiral of an, up, of an upsell. So hopefully I won't be buying the free pack of pre-rolls. I'll be buying more uh, just because you can kind of um, assume certain things. Because I think the one thing to know in, in, in human behavior that, I, that I've found in, with, with data is the, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So, and that not only applies to the individual, but it applies to if you can create profiles that are accurate enough to kind of make these predictions. And then, so tapping into your first party data is, is, is a great way to do that. And so having, so that's like creating the profile, right? Having the ability to have all the contact information attached to it, things like address, email address, phone number is a way then to engage um, not only through uh, you know traditional means uh, texting and email, but um, that what's being continued to be uh, opening up wider and wider is um, you know like to traditional advertising, but I guess not tra like traditional digital advertising that other CPG brands use, and um, the, the, the like you know having that contact information links you can link that to certain digital elements like connected tv um certain apps um and certain you know other web platforms that are actually quite open to taking cannabis ads these days and there are many uh companies media gel is included obviously um that can do that work now um and there are um there's a strong industry effort if you look at the cannabis media council um, the Cannabis Marketing Association um, entities that are like have a strong interest in um, helping to achieve like the normalization of not only like the cannabis media, but the entire workflow. So like from the what, what, what you're doing with your data, making that actionable. Um, so it's, it, it's something that's like top of mind. Sure. So the other thing that allows you to do what you're, what you're mentioning is, okay, so this is what I know about my existing customer and their behavior. Here's how I can potentially look at my own data and say, this person is similar to this other person. So I should give them this offer because we see that it works with this cohort. Now, um, by taking your first party data, having it organized, and then leveraging data services like Statera or some of the things you do with MediaGel, you can then look at the broader audience of people that are not yet your customers, right? Because right. you have a finite a number of the people in market that you that you know who they are.
But if you say, okay, I, I know that 42 year old males that live in this zip code or have these other demographic uh, profiles, homeowner versus not homeowner, um, political affiliation, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of dimensions that you can measure people on. You can take your existing customers and then you can connect that with the larger data set that's available that is, you know, well established within the CPG industry and find people that are in your market that have those same similar demographic traits and then advertise to them, right? So this is for new customer acquisition where you can make your targeted digital advertising more effective because you're targeting people that you know or that, you know, know but that have a, they over-index for a specific type of product. So that allows you to do things like say, okay, we've got, you know, we've got a thousand, I'm just gonna use round numbers. So we have a thousand customers and we know that there's a cohort of them that are in this age group and they tend to buy three packs of pre-rolls, right? And so we know that there's an affinity for that particular product. Okay, so let's build a campaign that is advertising that specific product to everyone that is in your radius that you wanna be marketing to in your location that matches that same demographic profile, you're going to see a better return on investment when you're doing marketing that way. Right. And I think, and I think just like in, in a, if you're thinking on, on a, on a medium to long-term, you, you begin to engage with folks that are, um, have a, like we would call like a, a, a propensity to be a buyer or a customer that, um, you know, that has never been talked to before. And I think that uh, there's a there's a there's a wealth of information out there that said that that says that the you know the cannabis industry is a little bit of a plateau right now, um, and part of that's because of you know regulation and 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 the stifling that way. But like talking to customers, talking to potential customers, and the education on how to actually go to go to a to a dispensary. Um, can be a great way of just getting people in the door. And so like knowing who to do, knowing how to do that and not just kind of throwing your money into the ether, um, having the, having targeted communications based on your own data um, is, 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 is the best way to start. Actually talking to customers, asking them to come into your store. Um, you know, I, I think it's like, sometimes we lose focus in that. Like if you're the, under the age of, uh, I don't know, 25 or 35, it's like, a, it might be a scary experience to go into a dispensary just because when you were a kid, like this, this was all prohibited. So coming out of prohibition, um, knowing that targeted group of customers and having the, the golden nuggets in your own hands of like your own customer data and being able to build those audiences and build that communication is, is really important. Um, and it, and like, and it's a way not only to enrich like your own customer base, um, but it's like, it grows the industry as a whole. Yeah. And, you know, there's many schools of thought that count your first party data as the, really the only true piece of evergreen IP that you have, right. meaning it's an asset that you own as a business. You can keep using it in different ways to provide value for yourself without using it up, right? It doesn't get used up. You can continue to use it. And, you know, this is the reason why frequently Facebook advertising works so well or has worked so well in the past. It's a little different now, but it's because Facebook knows all this information about their customers, Facebook users. Now, in this case, by building your own first party data set, having custody of it, enriching it, appending it, doing all the different things you can, 
you you're in control of your own destiny a little more because now you are the owner of that customer record and you're not reliant on Facebook or another party to be able to reach that audience. You know, they make it pretty easy. You can say, oh, I want to target people in Facebook that match this basic profile. Um, this is the same tools, right, that we're right. providing. Right. But now you own the tools. You're not renting them from Facebook um, and it allows you to do a lot more with it. Yeah. And I, and, I mean, and, and, and I think it's, you know, it starts with uh, the, just the ability to be to like to really begin to tapping into like, I think the, the more knowledge you have about your customer, the more knowledge you have about your own brand. And, and just like, it's a, it's an upward spiral of, of success. There is that like, what, it, what, it, what is really special about your dispensary that people like, and you can begin to make those observations based on like a holistic view of your customer's base. Um, you know, like what is, you know, like, like, rather than just again having uh having the, having the weekly discount is is there another special aspect of your dispensary and the products you're bringing in um and and the way you're presenting this stuff that actually makes people come back that makes it makes a a, a um like a cart size get bigger uh, or or smaller if you know if you don't if you're not offering a certain product that week um, and, and so like being able to actually have a view of who's doing what, when, um, at the, at the individual level, again, uh, I think is, is, is invaluable. And so then, and then Jake talks about like about the value of an asset. Um, when, when we, when, when I worked in politics, a lot of the time, you have to kind of assign values to a lot of the things that, you know, political campaigns are working on. So one of the things that uh, at the end of a campaign, you you assign value to is the um, the data that the campaign's sitting on, and and so uh, companies do this as well. CPG companies traditionally have a value assigned to their customer list, and so if you're sitting on several hundred thousand customers, even if you're sitting on tens of thousands of customers, um. That data in and of itself is a valuable asset to your company, and you can include that into, you know, evaluation. If we, you know, if we want to talk about the business aspect of, you know, knowing what your business is worth, because obviously, like a customer that comes in once a week, a customer that comes in once a month makes a big purchase, um, is 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 a valuable thing to know about, and then like you know the, the trends you can build on top of that. Um, you know, with the right marketing behind it, uh, can be invaluable. I mean, it's so, I mean, which kind of like brings us full circle into how important it is to, um, like, I think the one thing that people should be more, more most cautious about is the lack of maintenance on the type of data that we're talking about. Um, and once you kind of learn how to do the, like do the maintenance and just like, just like to keep that cycle of maintenance up. Um, it's not something you can kind of do once in a while. It's like a marathoner can't train for a marathon by um, running 10 miles every once a month. You need to do it every day. I don't right? know. I've seen some Instagram posts. People claim they can do that. Um, oh, no, I'm, yeah. I'm joking about that. But when you when you say maintenance, um, yeah. we're talking about what exactly? Yeah. So yeah, like once, so you have the pie in the sky, you have a hundred thousand customers and you have maintained it and you are rolling and you're growing your customer list. 
what do you do then um, on a on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? You have to look to see if people have moved. So there's like, you know, the U.S. Postal Service has like a national change of address uh, service you can run on that. Um, so Tara offers that service. You can see if people have changed their phone number. Because, um, you know, uh, people change their cell phone if they move or they change their cell phone if they just use a prepaid phone. Um, and so maintaining that uh, just like kind of base level contact information is important. But also um, there's times when you can just actually ask a customer in an email, like you don't have to off always offer them a discount or offer them uh, a business proposition. You can ask them to update, hey, what do you like about hearing from us? Can you give us your address again? Are we, do you wanna hear from us still? Um, give people the, the chance to engage with you at a, at a more personal level and like, that's not possible if you don't have accurate data and you don't have like the unsiloed data to actually make those asks. Yeah, you see that commonly with, with many consumer apps. I think probably the most common one you see is like banking apps or credit card apps where you sign yeah. in and every few months they ask you things like, you know, what is your household income or is this still the right contact info? Um, and that's that's them doing maintenance on their data, making sure that they have accurate information. All right, so um, we do have a Q&A um, here in the Zoom thing. If anyone has questions, you can type your questions in here and we will do our best to answer them. Again, neither of us are lawyers, so uh, don't give us contracts to read, but um, happy to answer any questions that, that anyone has. So we've got uh, probably about 10 more minutes here. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about using data to make decisions on marketing. You mentioned, you know, it's very common within the cannabis industry to offer discounts as a way of getting people in the door. And it is a good tool, uh, but it's it's a it's a hammer, right? So it definitely has an effect when when you when you hit people with um, large discounts. But you can use your data to understand which of your customers, you can engage with and drive retention or upsells that don't necessarily require a discount, right? And that's an area where you can get better margins from your existing customers. So maybe you could talk through an example of how someone would do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's, it, it goes to, uh, creating what, what we would call like a, like a list segmentation. So um, taking the, taking your list again, let's use a hundred thousand people just because it's a nice round number and say you have um, really good a, a way of maintaining what, like what SKUs that people are buying and what way, you know, categorizing the actual uh, spend per visit. Um, so you can, you can, you, you can categorize people in a few different ways. Um, how often they visit, you can categorize how much money they spend when they visit, or you can categorize how much, how, uh, what products they buy. And then you can, so if it's like, um, how often they visit, you can see, you know, if you have a date for when somebody made an online order and then came in and picked it up or had delivery, you can go back to your email and say, did did the did, did a massive purchase happen when, you know, like connected back to your like actual marketing and say, which of these hundred thousand 
that were affected by that discount email. And because you have the SKUs lined up to an individual, um, you can see like pretty clearly if like that person came, if a person came in that day when they use them anymore, like, or that week, right? And discount email. Um, or if you announce a new product that was kind of more a more high-end product, more expensive. If someone actually, you can, if you communicated that out in an email or a text or a digital campaign, and you can actually look at a date and see that person bought a um, one of those higher end products on that day, you can attribute that back to a campaign. Um, then you begin to segment the the data, so you can look at, hey, this this is a high end group of buyers. This is definitely a discount group of buyers. This is a buy. This is a group that you know they they come in once a month and they buy a pack of edibles, um, and like then it again it kind of uh, begins to kind of build efficiencies throughout everything you're doing because you can take your marketing and say, look, I, we shouldn't, there's 50,000 people that we shouldn't put on a discount campaign. Right. Here's, here's 30,000 people that we shouldn't try to sell beverages to because they've never bought beverages. They don't, they, this guy buys pre-rolls every Friday night. He's not going to come in and buy beverages one day. Or he, he might, but we shouldn't be spending money to try to make that case because um, it's, it's not a good use of our budget at this time. Yeah, another thing yeah. that we've seen is if you are doing discounts, what is that discount, right? So there, you know, are you offering a 10%, 20%, 30%? I've seen people do all the way up to 40%, depending on what their goals are. But understanding who you should be offering discounts to and even in, in terms of what, what product is being featured within the creative, right? So if you know what people tend to purchase, right? Okay, so this cohort, we're using pre-rolls, this cohort of people here. They I love pre-rolls, that, by the way, that, that's how I keep- So yeah. you're, uh, yeah, I'll put I'm, you in the target for that. Yeah. Um, so this cohort here, we know that they, they purchase pre-rolls. So let's target a, a set of creatives, the actual ad units themselves that, that feature a picture of pre-rolls assuming you're in a state where that's allowed, you can't always use pictures of products, but let's just say you're in a state where that's allowed. Um, and then the next dimension is how much of a discount do we want to offer them, right? Um, so you can further segment that group into these people we know engage when we do a 25%. Usually like there's a there's a big psychological difference between like a 15% and a 25% off, right? But people have different psychology. So you, you inside of that group of people, some people will find 15% off to be more meaningful. And it may be because they make larger purchases, right? So when you do the internal math, you say, okay, okay, when I go in, I'm going to spend 150 or let's say hundred dollars. That means, oh, 15%, I'm going to say $15. Then you equate that to, oh, well, basically I'm getting a whole free set of pre-rolls in my mind. Whereas if you have someone who makes smaller purchases, Say they're coming in and spending $30, 15% of $30 is less meaningful than 30% of $30, right? So being able to understand the, the, your, the data that you get from your customers on what they're purchasing um, and what they're interacting with will allow you, you can, you can make more money as a business without actually having to necessarily acquire new customers. Obviously, you want to acquire new customers, but what I'm specifically talking about right now is using data to increase your margins from your existing flow of customers. Right. And then, yeah, I mean, and it's also just like connecting 
Because I think this, like, one of the things I think that is done really well is knowing by cannabis companies is like knowing the on the inventories and the product side. I think that, I think that's actually done pretty pretty well. But then connecting that back to your customer base and making it like truly actionable rather than just like on stock and and what's going to be in your inventory is something that like can be done with like the good maintenance of first party data and connecting that back to like the actual SKUs that individuals are buying based on that those the inventory conversations. So great. Uh, well, lots of useful stuff here. We're gonna we're uh, wrapping up on time here. Do we have? Let's see. Do we have any? Do you have any last uh, bits of advice or uh, nuggets of information you want to share? No. Um, just a shout out to uh, the Massachusetts cannabis market. I, I moved from Boston, Mass. Um, it is a is it's a it's I think it's a, one of the unsung gems of the of the cannabis industry in, here in the United States. And I'm in Maryland now, and I'm gonna learn that industry as well but it's 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 just just birthed on the adult use level and uh happy to be in maryland as well so have you been into a adult use uh dispensary in maryland no no not yet not yet so i'm gonna i'm I'm actually do you know how to close the nearest one is it's like 10 minutes away all right well uh you'll have to report back and and see how it compares to Boston. There's obviously massive differences in each market um, between, you know, what the dispensary experience is like. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Matt, how can people reach you if they want to get more information um, or or ask you? Yeah, I mean, hit me up on LinkedIn if you you found me there. Uh, Matt Taverna. I'm also at matt at statera.com. And we will be in touch. Um, but again, um, I assume you reached us on, on LinkedIn. Um, I will respond to any, any, any and all messages there and as well as my email. So great. Thank you so much. Um, this is Jake Litke, CEO of MediaGel signing off for Cannabis Marketing Live. Everyone have a great weekend. Thank you, Jake. Bye.